Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. And I'm Bob Rookover. And uh, Bob, um, when last we spoke a week ago, we thought, silly us, we thought, oh, maybe in a week we'll have a resolution one way or the other. This thing has taken like 27 twists and turns just in the last seven days to the point now where as we sit here, um, it's lunchtime, almost lunchtime on Thursday. We thought for the first half of yesterday that it was a productive day for baseball. Uh, By nightfall, it didn't seem so clear. And now I'm not even sure the sides know what the heck happened yesterday, Um, whether they have a framework for a potential deal or whether they were just spitballing ideas uh, at one another. You you talk to the league, you talk to the union, and you get very different views. We could really get deep into the weeds here. I don't think we should because an hour from now, it's probably going to be, there's going to be something new. I guess I'll just start here. Um, At lunchtime today, do you think there's going to be a baseball season this year? I don't think lunchtime today. Uh, maybe by the maybe by the weekend. Oh no! I mean, I mean, I mean. As we sit here today, do you think there will be a season at some point down uh, the road? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. Yeah, no. Um, I yeah, I still think there's going to be a season, uh, and I think you know the fact that they that it was a good sign, no matter what anybody's saying, that Rob Manfred got on a plane and went and saw face to face. I mean. Maybe maybe one of the untold stories here is this is harder to do than ever because of the you know we're doing Zoom calls. I can go back to the '94. Not that that didn't just go on forever too, uh, but they would talk. I mean, in the past they would meet and talk when they you know it'd be face to face. And is it harder when it's not face to face? I don't know. It can't help that it's not. But I just think I, I'm have to believe. I don't know. Um, I am I him and Holland? Yeah, I have no idea, <laughs> but but I got to think at some point common sense wins. Yeah, I um, I I said yesterday when we right around this time yesterday when we heard that uh, Rob Manfred flew out to Arizona, they had a meeting face to face. I thought, oh, look at that! Like, what a revelation that actually sitting down and talking uh, might be a productive thing in negotiations. Like this is like what a brainstorm this is. And I would agree with you that I think probably face-to-face conversation makes this easier. However, it's worth noting that Rob Manfred said earlier this week that they hadn't had so much as a zoom call since June 7th. Um, that's an awfully long time when the clock is ticking and the calendar is going and, Every day that runs off the calendar means a shorter season to not even so much as have a Zoom call. It underscores to me how much these sides really, truly dislike each other. There really is no love lost here. This is not a performance. This is the truth. They really don't like each other. Uh, They're not putting on an act for for everyone to see. And uh, when you've got that much mistrust, when you've got that much vitriol for one another, it's going to be difficult to come to an agreement no matter what's going on, whether you're Zooming or conference calling or sitting at a table across from one another. They just don't see eye to eye on almost anything. It, and it's it's mind-boggling that two sides that have benefited so much from each other um, be, by their relationship cannot, you know, ha- can have that much vitriol, uh, that much hate toward each other because – 
ultimately they need each other. The owners, you know, they can talk about whatever the value, but when you talk about the value of the franchise, there's only a value of the franchise and the products because of the players without the players, there's no value to their products and the players without the owners. I mean, I remember in 95, one of the things they talked about where they're going to do a barnstorming tour um, and, um, you know, and, and all these things, well, we're going to start our own league. Yeah. Good luck trying to do that. Um, you know, it's, these sides need each other and there's so many reasons for them to get together and figure this out. And it's just maddening that they have not. Yeah. I mean, for all the talk that baseball's dying on the vine and that's, you know, a really popular opinion, even in good times, um, this game still brought in $10.7 billion in revenue last year. That's a record. Um, <laughs> attendance. Sounds, sounds like a pretty ripe vine to me. Yeah. Attendance, <laughs> as you've pointed out um, in our conversations here and in the paper, uh, has been has boomed. So in a lot of in most places. So um, from a financial standpoint, baseball's fairly healthy. And like you said, for the two sides to just be at each other's throats like this, you would think the sport was literally um, bankrupt. It's not. It's incredibly, incredibly profitable, no matter what Bill DeWitt from the Cardinals, the Cardinals owner says. Um, it's incredibly profitable. The franchise values have skyrocketed. And it's just hard to imagine throughout this whole thing. Like, I, I understand all the ins and outs. Like, I, I get that the players think they made a deal on March 26th for per game salaries and they don't want to reopen that and they're standing on principle and they're saying this is not how a negotiation works and the owners are saying yes but 40 percent of our revenue just went up in smoke when when the fans weren't allowed into the ballpark and we need you to help us share the burden and give further concessions i see both sides of this but i don't understand and have not understood throughout the whole thing why they can't seem to see beyond 2020 like 2020 is going to stink for both sides, no matter what happens, because there won't be any fans there. The owners will make less money, regardless of what the players are going to get paid. It's going to be less than their full season salaries. Chalk it up. It's 2020 is 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 bad and it's going to be bad. But you know what? Think about 2021 and beyond and try to try to protect the game a little bit. Try to protect the sport a little bit. Try to make it better instead of tearing it down. You know, I, I see all this talk about, like, baseball's got to be torn down and rebuilt from scratch again. That's not true. That's not true when you, when you raked in almost $11 billion last year. But if you don't, you know, see beyond your nose, if you don't see beyond what's happening in 2020, the sport is going to burn because no one's paying attention to the future. Um, one thing I think a lot of people forget, probably a lot of people remember too, especially if they were involved, is that the 95 strike didn't end because the sides decided to agree. It ended because of judge who's now Supreme court judge, Sonia Sotomayor, right. You know, decided to have an injunction. She ruled against the owners and forced the sides to, to get back together and, and end the strike. Uh, you know, so it didn't end because they, they agreed on, something in 95 after 232 days it ended because they were were forced to agree on something or forced to at least continue to figure something out Uh, you know and she that's not going to happen again in this case because because it's not a strike it's not a work stoppage but it is you know it, it, it 
It's over in my mind. This is already the the tenth work stoppage in baseball history because this season was supposed to start in what's twelve sixteen days. This season was supposed to start in sixteen days in the initial plan, and and under the best case scenario, it's not going to start now. The July nineteenth. And I still think we could be looking at August 1st of a, of a start with a 60-game season. Yeah, I mean, look, I wrote earlier this week that, um, you know, I thought, I thought Trevor Bauer um, in, his, uh, in his tweet thread uh, was perceptive on this whole thing that, you know, why did Rob Manfred, five days after guaranteeing the season would happen, come out and say he wasn't, he wasn't confident? Well, it's because the owners don't want the players to file a grievance. And if you have a window of about 70 days from July 19th or 20th to September 27th to fit in a season and you only play 50 games because that's what the com- the commissioner imposes, you're going to get a grievance filed against you that's going to say that the best efforts were not made to play a season. So what the owners have to do if they really want Manfred to just impose a short season is they have to run the, run the calendar down. And... Maybe that's some of what uh, is going on here uh, with this, uh, you know, deal or no deal kind of thing that we saw yesterday. Um, uh, You know, maybe they are just trying to run the clock down so that they can uh, turn around and throw their hands up in exasperation and say, oh, the players have left us no choice. We have to impose a 50 game season. It'll start on August 1st. It'll end on September 27th. And now we're squeezing 60 games or you know, we're squeezing 50 games into 57 days, and that somehow looks reasonable, um, you know, in, in, in the eyes of an arbiter who would hear a grievance. So I've, that's, that might be what's partially at play here. It certainly looked that way earlier in the week. Um, one thing I'll say for the players, um, you know, when Tony Clark came out last week and said, tell us when and tell us where, and it became kind of a rallying cry, Uh, for players and they've been tweeting it and they've been hashtagging it Uh, if the players were to turn around now um, in the face of this 60 game thing and say like give us 70 games or we're not doing it well then when and where looks pretty silly at that point like they've told you when and where it's going to be 60 games um, you know at your full prorated pay which is what you wanted at some point you have to just say look make a deal Make a deal, get on the field, get it done, and let's go because the coronavirus isn't waiting around. I mean, cases are already spiking in places like Arizona, Florida, and Texas. And the worst thing that could happen here is if after all of this, they make a deal and then they just can't do it because of the virus, which has been in charge of this thing all along. Well, and the, the, the thing, and this is what I, I, I wrote about last week, uh, is that they don't seem to even think or realize uh, what happened the last time the, the, the game, the 232-day strike, what the reaction to them was publicly after it was over. And it was so ugly. Uh, you know, people were throwing stuff at players, uh, you know, carrying signs. They couldn't give tickets away. I mean, they were every team had dollar days every week, and they couldn't. And they still drew 6,000 people less in 1995 than they did in 1994 when they set a record for average attendance for a season at 31,000 something, you know, and they don't, they just seem to be ignoring that that's the, that's the climate that they're going to create if they can't play a season, you know, uh, 
And that just boggles my mind too. There's so much of this that, you know, how do you not see what's going on around you, what happened in the past, what's happening right now? How can you be blind to all of that? And, you know, both sides will say, oh, we're not blind to that. But until they figure it out and one side is the more magnanimous side and says, you know what? Yeah, it's not exactly what we wanted, but it's it's better than nothing. And we, you know, and we'd like to get the country, try to help the country recover from this pandemic and everything else that's going on. And, you know, we just want the, the, this to, to help in any way we can. We know it's a small part, but there's nobody doing that. There's nobody from either side doing that. You can say it all you want, but until your actions, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me, though, about Dollar Nights. Um, I was in college after the strike uh, of 94, and I was at uh, school in Boston, and I lived literally across Kenmore Square from Fenway Park. And I remember we had student discount nights. We could go literally like 15 minutes before the start of a Red Sox game, get bleacher seats for like $5.00 go out, sit there and have a great time. Um, that was 95. Uh, and within, um, you know, eight or nine years, there was no way you could get, you couldn't even get Red Sox tickets at full price. They were all sold out. So, um, but the, the reason was in part because they were coming off of this horrendous strike. And there was, as you said, I mean, people, people really disliked what went on and they had to pretty much give tickets away to get people to go. Uh, and it took that, a long time to recover. And you think about all that happened between Ripken and the home run race. I saw a story this week about the 98 Yankees. You know, everyone talks about the summer of 98 being all about McGuire and Sosa. Well, the 98 Yankees might have been the greatest team any of us have ever seen. They rolled through that season and, and won 114 games. And then after that, you know, and then you had the Yankee dynasty, uh, which was part of that. You had an actual dynasty in the sport. Uh, which is always good for business. And then you had teams like the Red Sox winning in 04 after having not won in ages. Um, you know, it was it was a boom time for baseball. And all of those things had to happen for the game to come back as big as it did. I don't know that any of that's going to happen now. Uh, you know, I, I just take this to a Philadelphia perspective. I, this is something I've wondered about for years uh, because I saw it in Cleveland. Um, you know, the Phillies were were – uh, had all those sellouts, that long sellout streak. I think that was like 230-something games. I forget yeah. the, exact, the exact number, whatever that sellout streak was. And somebody say, some people say, oh, it was bogus. There were seats empty, whatever. whatever. There were a lot of people in that ballpark for a lot of straight nights. Um, and, you know, Cleveland had something like that in the 90s with their great teams. And now they win divisions and still finish like 25th in attendance. Now, I don't think yeah. Philadelphia will ever be that extreme, but I also don't think we'll ever see, and this is before all this, you know, now you're turning people off even more. I really don't think we'll ever see that, that sellout streak threatened in Philadelphia. I don't think baseball's ever going to come back the way it was. That, you know, that was the perfect time in this city's uh, history for baseball because the, the stadium was so – very, very new. Uh, this team hadn't been good in a while. They, they got good. They were good with a lot of homegrown players. Uh, you know, their, their stars were homegrown players. Uh, it was the perfect, perfect time for them. And I don't see that ever happening again, the way baseball is gone. And we can say what we want about the game can't, comes back. It always comes back. It always comes back. But, you know, is, is there a breaking point? 
I, I think there is. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's stretch our imaginations here and imagine that Rob Manford and Tony Clark can figure out what to what they've agreed upon and what to agree to next. Um, but you've been smoking. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Let's say that uh, they do that and that there is a season and the Phillies are playing uh, a 60, uh, 60 something game schedule all against regional teams, you know, NL East and AL East. And then eight teams from the National League, the top eight teams from the National League are going to make the playoffs. Do you like their chances? Do I like the Phillies' chances? Uh, well, <laughs> amazingly, the Phillies are on an eight-year run of not making the playoffs. Uh, is that eight, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18? Yeah, eight years. They've gone eight years without making the playoffs. And even in an eight-team uh, playoff scenario, Seven of those years, they still wouldn't have made it. The last time they would have, and, and, and it may have been eight, the last time they would have even had a ch- real, really good chance was 2012, the year after their sh- streak of division titles in it. They would have finished tied for the eighth spot with the Diamondbacks at 81 and 81 with a um, playing game to, to have to be played to see if they that streak would have hold, held. Um, but having said that, I like their chances of being one of the eight best teams in the National League uh, this year. I think the National League East is loaded, but I also think the Phillies are in that conversation for one of the better teams in the National League East. Let's, um, you know what's weird about it is that, so I don't know exactly how it's going to break down. I don't know how many games you're going to play against NL East teams versus AL East teams and whatnot. Let's say it's roughly two-thirds of your games are going to be NL East games and then the other third are going to be AL East games. So the AL East, which is a tough division, right, between the, Reds, uh, between the uh, Yankees, the Rays, the Red Sox, who are not, not what they were but are still no pushover, uh, and even the Blue Jays. Throw them in there. Uh, they're, not, they're not a good team, but they're not a horrible team. Uh, they, they reek of about a 500 club this year that's on its way up, right? That's, that's semi-dangerous, have some young players, Vlad Guerrero, et cetera. Orioles stink, but four out of the five teams in the AL East are uh, really good to, you know, not a pushover. Those five teams, while they will not be, uh, while you will not be competing against them to make the playoffs in your league, are going to have a lot to say about whether you do make it. And I'd have to sit down and go through each division and figure out like East, Central, West, who's got the easiest road. But, you know, it's weird because you're, you're going to be your playoff fate is going to be determined in large part, at least probably 33 percent in part by uh, teams that are not that, that are not in your own league. Well, it kind of so, kind of goes back to a year ago, which is what it is, what decided it really um, the Phillies needed to beat the Marlins a lot, right. more, a lot more than they did. Now they need to beat the Marlins and, and the Orioles. Um, the you know, if you're an NL Central team. You, you get the Tigers who are going to be really bad. Um, and who's the other really bad team in that? There's another really bad team in the Central. Uh, Royals. The, Roy- the Royals are very bad at this point. Um, so you get you get an advantage there, um, probably. Um, you know, it's kind of evenly in the other divisions, evenly matched, good, bad, uh, what what have you. 
but that but that's what it's going to come down to. Can you beat up on the Marlins and the Orioles? And if you can beat up on those teams, you got a pretty good chance of being one of the the eight teams that make the playoffs. I mean, the eight teams that would have made it in the National League last year. I mean, you had the 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 five that did uh, Braves, Braves Nationals. Nationals. It would have been Braves Nationals, Mets, Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Dodgers, Diamondbacks. Those so are the Phillies have the Phillies leaped over any of those teams, I guess is the question that you ask yourself, but you can't ask it just like, you know, in, in terms of like, what moves did they make in the off season to leap over those teams? You have to say, you know, what moves did they make in the off season? And then how does their schedule match this weird, weird schedule match up against, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, the teams in the, I mean, do the, do the, do the Cincinnati Reds who on paper look like they had a pretty decent off season benefit from playing, you know, the Tigers and the, and the Royals and the Pirates um, uh, a lot more than, you know, you know, and the Phillies would have, you know, the, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's really, really interesting. I'm not, in, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not entirely sold on expanded playoffs, meaning an end to the Phillies playoff drought, just because the playoffs have been expanded. I, I think they're still kind of a bubble team um, to get in uh, among the top eight in the national league. I think they probably do, but who knows? I, I don't think it's uh, stone cold lock either. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you think they're better than the Diamondbacks? I think they're in the conversation with the Diamondbacks. Are they better than the Cubs? I think that conversations can be had too. Yep. Um, you know, um, the Reds. The, the, you know, the, even the Mets. They're in that conversation with the Mets, even though the Mets overtook them last year. Uh, I still think they're in the conversation with that team. Um, I mean, the Diamondbacks get to play the. Uh... Aside from the Giants and the Rockies and the Padres, they get to play the Mariners who were, you know, were direct last year. And they get to, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not a huge Texas Rangers guy. I'm not a huge believer in that team. So there are a lot of bad teams out west. I mean, it could help a team like, let's say, the Padres uh, if they can finish, you know, right. if they can finish closer to 500. Maybe they can sneak in ahead of. Uh, ahead of somebody else. So what I'm finding myself saying, and it's kind of the same thing I'm saying about the KBO. I just, I'm having a hard time generating any kind of enthusiasm for what we're about to see. If we see it, Um, you know, it's just for, for multiple reasons. One is because of what's all that's happening in in the country would, would be maybe at the top of the list, but then you, you present, all this stuff, and it's like having to see just nothing but NL East and AL East teams is, you know, and most with most of those being NL East teams doesn't do a whole lot for me. I, you know, I, one of the things I like about baseball is being able to see see teams from from every division uh, come in. You know, so that and, yeah. and seeing, you know, this is more of a long range thing. Um, if if we're going to see sixteen team in the playoffs every year after this, which is supposed to be for 2021, I think it's going to, you know, I think it's going to last a lot longer than that. I think, Me so. I think it's going to be the new normal. What that's going to create is a lot of bad teams, teams, not just bad, but teams under 500, which we've never, I don't think we've ever seen a team under 500 make the playoffs. Have we? I don't think we have. I, I, I don't think we ever have. We, you, you see it in other sports. But I don't think we've ever seen it in this sport, and that's we're about to. Um, you know what? The you do know what the must-see TV moment of the 2020 baseball season will be, right? 
No, please enlighten me. It will be that moment at the end of the World Series when Rob Manfred has to hand the World Series trophy and the MVP trophy to some players. <laughs> That's going to be something to see. Uh, you know what? It can't be any better than Roger Goodell having to hand it to Robert Kraft. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, let's talk about actual baseball for a couple of minutes here before we wrap up. So last week was the draft, and following a draft – that we talked about uh, as being unlike any other in that it was a five-round draft. So forget about the seasons that were canceled and the scouting that had to take place to get these guys drafted. It was only a five-round draft. There were 160 players drafted. There are usually, what, 1,200 or so or more um, that are picked in the draft. So what we had after the draft ended last Thursday was this one Sunday rolled around was this undrafted free agent signing period, and the Phillies signed eight undrafted free amateur free agents, all pitchers. Most of them were enormously tall. It was like a basketball team. They signed basically a pickup basketball team uh, in the absence of a minor league season. I like their chances, uh, you know, hooping it up somewhere. But um, there were some local kids. You wrote about a couple of them today in the Extra Innings newsletter. Um, Jake McKenna, um, lefty, six foot seven from Ocean City, New Jersey, your neck of the woods. And... Billy Sullivan, a uh, pitcher from University of Delaware. What can you, what can you share with us about those two guys? Well, the, uh, the interesting to me is, you know, these we talk about uh, people being affected by the the climate of the game right now. These two guys and uh, all all the guys who were undrafted guys uh, were significantly impacted by this. Uh, you know, I went and looked at this. The I don't know how you pronounce it. The spotrack.com. Yes, I think so. Which which tracks, um, which tracks salaries and tracks draft draft signing bonuses. And Jake McKenna, for instance, was the rated the four hundred and thirty fourth best prospect by Baseball America ahead of the draft a year ago. The four hundred and thirty fourth selection in the draft was a kid selection was a kid named Peyton Miller by the A's. And he got a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars signing bonus. And he was what? Uh, let me let me do the quick math here. Uh, eighth round. That was fourteenth round. Fourteenth round. Fourteenth round. So he 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 uh, he got one hundred seventy-five thousand compared to the twenty thousand that Jake McKenna got. Now Jake McKenna told me he got also got scholarship money. Uh, so uh, it, it left him with an interesting decision. I. Fully support his decision to he he said, you know what, I want to get my pro career started. It's not where you make your money anyway as a player. You you make the big money by being a professional player. He wanted to get it started. It makes him he's more determined than ever to prove he can pitch in the the big leagues. And he wanted to get that started. And now if he doesn't doesn't work out, he still has the scholarship money. Hey, good for him. Uh, He's happy with the decision he made. But it's just to show how much difference there was in what he could have had a year ago and what he got this year because of the, the circumstances of COVID-19, you know, and, and, you know, the circumstances that this, this is all part of uh, what has been coming to a head here. The owners wanting to tighten the budgets, their budgets, um, you know, it, it was part of that, too. If you don't, if people should oh, realize. yeah. This was in that March 26th agreement that we keep talking about. We're focused right. on, right. But they we're were focused looking, on prorated salaries. But, but this they've been looking the players... to shrink this draft for a while. And yes. this was their this was this gave them the ability to do it. Um, 
you know, and then the, the other local kid was a university of Delaware right-hander Billy Sullivan. He, the Phillies had drafted him in 2017 out of St. Mark's high school in Wilmington. Um, he was the 326 best prospect, which translates to the 11th round. Yeah. Um, he again, 20,000, the, the guy who sunk, you know, this is an unusual circumstance, but San Francisco paid a, uh, high school pitcher 800,000 last year to sign. And that's in three at three twenty six overall. Now he was a kid that had some leverage. He was really pro- projected higher than that. He slipped down in the 11th round. Um, but Billy Sullivan should have also at least gotten 120,000, somewhere around that. Um, you know, he's, he's going to get his career started. He could have gone back to school too. He had that option. He was a red shirt sophomore. Um, and he, he has, he's only pitched in two games. He had a great freshman year for Delaware, uh, I think seven and two with a two nine seven and 95 strikeouts in 72 innings. Um, but then I had to have Tommy John surgery. He's only made two starts since then, but both these kids made that decision. It just kind of stinks that they, uh, had to make that decision and got shortchanged so much money, but that's, that's what this draft was. That's what this undrafted world was. And that's what this draft created at the five round draft created this year. So much of this stinks for those kids. Not only do they get uh, less money to sign uh, and turn pro, but they also have nowhere to play. Well, well, so that was, yeah, I talked about that with McKenna too. And he basically said, they said, keep in shape, keep working. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of hopeful he gets to Clearwater at some point to the training facilities down there. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not like, only don't you get the money, you don't get the start that these other you, you, you find yourself starting back farther than any of the kids before you and maybe probably next year, too. Yeah, it's like, uh, hey, welcome to the organization. See you next year or maybe maybe see you next year. I mean, it's um, it, it that kind of stinks. I mean, usually this is the time of year where um Kids get drafted. They get signed. We, we see them go on their tours of Citizens Bank Park. Always the first-round pick always gets to come down and usually tour the clubhouse and uh, maybe even uh, get to take in some batting practice and stuff like that. I remember when Bryson Stott did it last year and Alec Bohm the year before. And, you know, you always see scouts bringing players through who were drafted. Um, and that, you know, that, um, you know, and then they go out to Clearwater and they go out to uh, – to the Gulf coast league and they go out to Williamsport and they get their pro career started. And that part of it won't happen. It won't, it, it will not. Um, but let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about something that will be back. We know very, very <laughs> soon. Um, one, Mr. Matthew Breen, father, Matt, we call him father, uh, Matt, father, Matt. I like it. The father, <laughs> Maxwell Breen's father, uh, also known as, you know, no longer known as Matt Breen. Father Matt or Maxwell Breen's father is, is are the proper names for him. But right. he's, he's – Max's he's, dad. He's been working on losing some weight, and he's going to be back soon. He fact, has? He's going to be – well, of course. Does after, he have weight to lose? After, after the pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> he needed to lose some weight. Uh, oh, man. So, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble probably for that. But, um, but he um, – He's good. Uh, I should, um, but he's supposed to be back with us next week. And you know how exciting! Who you know, baseball can come back, but it's not the same of ha- of having our lovable Matt back. We're gonna have to fill him in though on everything that's gone on. Yeah, he's fortunately very little has gone on. <laughs> yeah, you know how many games you missed. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, you were saying this before we started. When when the when the uh, when spring training got shut down, the the joke was, you know, what's going to happen first, opening day or the birth of uh, Father Matt's child? Well, we know uh, Max Breen won that one, and then we said, well, okay, what's going to happen? Like, is Matt going to come back before the season starts? And you know, Matt won that one because because he outlasts because well because he'll be back before the season starts we were joking before we came on, like what's going to happen? Does the season start or does Max Breen graduate from college before the season starts? Well, I, I, I talked to father Matt recently uh, and he, he told me that um, Maxwell is now like 58 pounds. He's, only, <laughs> he's the biggest kid ever. Uh, so, so it's not surprising that he is, he, he, he has, his birth happened that he won. He's undefeated and he's going to remain undefeated. Uh, the, the kid is a star. He, you know, and he's, and, and father Matt is lucky to have him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I would say that my son who's four, we could pass down clothes, but there's no way my son's, my son is, my son still wears two-year-old pants and he's four years old. So. I, think, I think Max is already bigger than Jake. <laughs> he is. I'm sure he is. I've seen some pictures. I'm sure he is. There's no question in my mind. That's not saying a whole lot. Jake's, Jake's, Jake is just as tough though. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, anyway, we, we will have Matt back next week. Will we have an agreement on a baseball season? We've been saying that every week. We will see. Um, we'll have to wait and see how the next few days play out. I guarantee there's going to be news. So please stick with us uh, at Inquirer.com, in the Philadelphia Inquirer. And uh, for Bob Brookover, I'm Scott Lauber. Have a great week.